0: It's Thursday, January 28th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. GameStop has been killing it on Wall Street this week as thousands of small investors are buying up stock and driving up the market value of the company. These investors are gathering in places like the Wall Street Bets subreddit and targeting short sellers by buying up what are called meme stocks. While GameStop is the current beneficiary of this plan, other companies like BlackBerry and AMC have also been bought up, sending shares soaring. The big question becomes, what happens when people stop buying or try to offload their shares to cash in? James Surowiecki, columnist for the online business magazine Marker, joins us for how it all works. Next, California and other states have begun rolling back some of their strict coronavirus restrictions as new COVID strains are beginning to circulate. New cases and hospitalizations are declining, causing governors like Gavin Newsom to let some businesses open at limited capacity again. Some say politics may be at play since he is facing a recall effort, but Newsom says that has no merit. Businesses and restaurants are happy at the chance to reopen, but some urge caution that it could be too soon. Emma Court, health reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us for more. It's news without the noise.
1: Let's dive in. GameStop ended 2020, I think the stock was at 1884 So that means it's up, I think, around 1,900% this month. Joining
0: us now is James Surowiecki, writer of the Money Talks business column for the online business magazine Marker. Thanks for joining us, James.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: I wanted to talk about what we're seeing on Wall Street with GameStop. GameStop stocks have been rising like crazy. When I checked it last today, right before we did this interview, and it changes constantly, so it could be different. The GameStop stocks were trading at $328. You know, so it's just had this big, huge rise. And everybody's kind of asking, has that big same question? What the heck is going on over there? And it has a lot to do with a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, people coming together to buy these stocks. People have started calling these meme stocks there's a lot going on here so James help us walk through some of this
1: I think actually it closed somewhere around 340 just to, to provide some context for that GameStop's 52 week low was $2.57 so you can do the math there perhaps even more amazingly GameStop ended 2020 I think the stock was at 18.84 so that means it's up I think around nineteen hundred percent this month. And That's and most amazing. of that gain has come in the last in the last week. It really kinda exploded beginning last Friday. So as you said, the core of the community that has kind of driven this stock upward is centered on a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, which is actually a huge subreddit. So it now, I think, has more than 2 million subscribers, obviously. It's gotten a lot more subscribers since this has started. But even before that, it was, it was very big. And it's a very sort of Reddit-like community. It's a bunch of people talking to each other, telling jokes, making fun. And one of the kinds of stocks that they've been very interested in over the last, I don't know, let's say six months to a year They've tended to focus on cheap stocks, so stocks that oftentimes are priced in the single digits, but that that have relatively small overall market capitalizations. And then oftentimes stocks that are beaten down stocks that you could theoretically make a lot of money in if they sort of rebound. I mean, they've obviously been interested in Tesla and the, some of the more right. hypey stocks. But uh, they're
0: they're but buying we- they're buying guys like BlackBerry and AMC movie theaters, which they've been suffering throughout the pandemic. So these are just some of the other ones that they've been getting in on as well.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so the idea of meme of meme stocks is pretty new. It I think the term really only emerged less than a couple of years ago, and it first started to take off last summer when we saw some really crazy movements in Hertz, which even though it, it was bankrupt, suddenly saw its stock skyrocket last summer. And then Kodak was another example. I don't know if you remember, but there was this sort of weird moment when I honestly can't even remember the details of the story, but there was this news that Kodak was somehow going to be involved in making COVID drugs. And oh, really? <laughs> so Kodak stock went sort of spiked as well. And the mean stocks, they really started to take off in sort of the end of 2020. And now, obviously, this month is really when it's sort of come into its own. And as you said, GameStop is by far the most prominent of them because of just how crazy the action in that stock has been. But there are now a host of other ones. So, as you said, AMC Theaters, which today was up 300%. BlackBerry, which was up like 30% today, which by, by, by these standards is a tiny gain. But if you think about 30%, that's pretty huge. Nokia, so a lot of these beaten down things. So the key to this story, I think, is that what's happening in these stocks, and let's talk about GameStop, the key is that what's happening is it's not like a kind of traditional stock market bubble where people are just kind of rushing in to buy stocks because they see other people are buying them and they think, oh, those stocks are going to go up or they think I'll be able to dump this stock on a, a greater fool or They just become sort of hypnotized by the promise of the Internet, like happened in the late 1990s, or there have been many little bubbles in Wall Street history. My favorite one is in the early 1960s, investors became convinced that every American was going to end up going bowling like three or four times a week. And so there was this huge bubble in bowling stocks. This is very different from that. What happened on this Reddit, on this subreddit, was that... People recognized that GameStop was not just very cheap and had a relatively small float. In other words, there aren't that many shares outstanding, but they also realized that a huge percentage of that float. So by some accounts, all of the shares plus some were being sold short by short sellers. Right. So short sellers were basically betting that GameStop's stock was going to continue to fall. And the reason that's important is that when a stock starts rising sharply, if it's been heavily shorted, what oftentimes will happen is that short sellers will have to buy the stock back in order to, the phrase on Wall Street is cover their shorts because they don't necessarily want to keep their short as that stock keeps rising because if they do, every dollar it rises is another dollar they've lost. And so if short sellers can't take the pain, they buy the stock. Well. When short sellers buy stock, that obviously helps push the price higher. So if there are more people shorting higher above them who maybe don't, you know, that sends the price higher. That means there are more short sellers who are getting pain inflicted. They may say, OK, I can't take the pain. They buy the stock, etc. And
0: for GameStop as a company, they're selling physical games. I thought they were maybe getting a boost because they were a player and selling the new Xbox and PlayStation consoles. But, you know, really those types of things are trending more digital, buying on the digital marketplaces. So what kind of future does GameStop really have in that sense? So when they all got together, as you mentioned, the short sellers are having to buy things back. So the price is going up. What happens when they start selling that off now to make their profit? You know, what happens when it doesn't keep rising?
1: Let me say one thing first, which is interesting. There was a kind of catalyst in the summer that kind of got people buying GameStop independent of trying to drive the price up or whatever, which was that a guy named Ryan Cohen, who had been at this company called Chewy, this pet company that he you know helped make a, a shockingly valuable company, like a $3 billion company, given the market they were in. He joined GameStop's board and along the lines of what you're talking about, he actually has supposedly has this plan to try to turn GameStop into this e-commerce company and blah, blah, blah. So that was one of the things that first got people interested in maybe taking a dip in the stock. But what really happened was as that price started to rise and then some short sellers said, oh, it's even a greater, better opportunity to short. Then people started to say, wait a second, we can actually game this thing. So they pushed the price higher. One other thing they did, which I won't go into the details of because it's a little complicated, but they've also used options trading to help boost the price stock. Basically, what they're doing is they're creating these kind of positive feedback loops. So that is to say, they're doing things that drive the price higher, which in turn makes the price go higher. So that's been the strategy they're using. It's actually quite clever. But the problem, as you said, is what happens when when the number of buyers drops off and people want to cash out to realize their profit? And I think the honest answer is we don't know. The problem for anyone who's buying at these prices is that there's no way GameStop's actual business can justify its current valuation. At 340, GameStop is worth something like 22 billion, I think. I can't wow. believe it. I'm not sure it's quite that, but it's over 20 billion dollars. You know, it's a real company. I mean, it has 5,000 stores still. It has like 6 billion in sales, but it has it'll be lucky to make million this year. So you can't get to a $20 billion valuation if you're in, as you said, a legacy business selling physical discs in a world that's migrating to digital. So the point is, once the stock price starts to fall, there isn't really an obvious cushion to keep it from falling a huge amount. I mean, it really is like, I think it's going to have to be look out below because the only thing that's kept it up this high is the sort of collective will of these people on the subreddit. And then the fact that the shorts are covering and the options guys are having to buy stock to hedge their options. So that's the crazy part. But the weird thing is, I can't tell you what will be the catalyst for them to look down and say, oh, wait a second, there's nothing below our feet. I don't know what's (laughs) going to make them do that. It's a very strange situation.
0: James Surowiecki, writer of the Money Talks column for Marker. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: We are in a position projecting four weeks forward with a significant decline in the case rates, positivity rates. We are anticipating decline, still more decline in hospitalizations and more declines in ICUs. And that's why we're lifting that stay-at-home order. Joining us now is Emma Court, health reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. I wanted to talk about what's going on right now as states are trying to... Uh, ease their COVID restrictions. There's a lot of big states like California specifically that are rolling back some of their stay-at-home orders, allowing some businesses to start operating again, although at limited capacity. But it's coming at a very precarious time right now. These variants that we keep hearing about from the UK, Brazil, South Africa, there's some that have been spotted in the United States itself. So Emma, tell us a little bit, you know, kind of the balance that the states are having to work through right now as
2: you rightly point out, we are seeing states starting to loosen some of those COVID precautions at this time. You know, we've been in the biggest surge of COVID-19 for a long time now, and as those national numbers are starting to come down, we're seeing case counts declining, hospitalizations coming down, the trajectory of the pandemic appears to be easing. We're seeing states rightly take action and say, We think we can allow some kinds of economic activity to restart. For instance, in Illinois, you know, saying after months of not allowing indoor dining, that, you know, indoor dining can resume in in Chicago and suburbs. But, you know, it is the difficult balance to strike because, on the one hand, you do see these encouraging signs when it comes to the data. On the other hand, we do know that there are some worrisome indicators on the horizon, including the emergence of these new variants, which bring with them, you know, we know that at least one of these variants is more transmissible than the kind of current dominant strain of the coronavirus. But the other concerning aspect of this status quo is the fact that we know the vaccine rollout has been lagging behind expectations. And, of course, the vaccine is kind of that key critical tool in terms of being able to promote immunity in the population and, you know, ward off further spread
0: of disease. On that front real quick, the CDC released some numbers. They said that about 45 million or so vaccine doses have been sent out, but really maybe 23 to about 25 million vaccines have been administered. So we're still playing from behind there. And the United States has a population of 331 million. So a long, long way to go on that front.
2: We also know this is a vaccine where, you know, it remains to be seen, but we've, see, we've heard a lot about hesitancy among Americans, people being concerned maybe they were developed too quickly and, and, and being worried about things like anaphylaxis, you know, these severe allergic reactions, which have been reported in the context of these vaccines, but are, as far as we know so far, extremely rare. So there are factors around the vaccine rollout that still remain to be seen in terms of how successful it'll be. And we know there have been a a number of logistical issues in terms of just getting those doses to the sites and getting them in people's arms that are still kind of being worked out at the moment.
0: Let's talk a little bit about California, obviously a huge state, the governor there, Gavin Newsom, had these stay-at-home orders, restaurants, and he closed outdoor dining at restaurants, which was a huge thing for local restaurants and businesses. So now we're seeing caseloads go down, hospitalization go down, and these restrictions are being loosened up. There's still a lot of people that say, hey, wait a minute, we could be moving too fast. Going back to that balance again that we've been talking about, there's a lot of other people saying, well, politics was playing a role in this. Governor Gavin Newsom is facing a recall effort. And that effort has almost the amount of signatures they need to put it onto the ballot. So some people were saying politics was playing a part in this as well. And, of course, Newsom
2: has denied that politics are playing a role in this. The state has been pretty firm in saying this is based on the numbers we have, right? The case numbers, factors like declining hospitalization and test positivity rates and this expectation that the availability of intensive care beds is going to improve so that's what we're definitely getting out of the state. I think what's really interesting about California and has been kind of a consistent factor throughout this pandemic has been that California is almost sort of stupefied experts in terms of why has the situation in California been consistently so concerning, even though California famously early to impose restrictions, quick to take the kinds of measures we've heard experts advocate for. And it's led some people to think maybe the issue isn't the measures that the state has taken, but more this question of adherence to those measures and specifically are these measures so strict that people have decided, you know what, you say I can't eat outdoors at a restaurant. Well, I'm gonna go gather in my friend's apartment and without a mask and we'll all get sick there. I mean, obviously that wasn't the intent
0: I live in California, and anecdotally, I can say that's kind of true. People have been driven in, and they are still gathering with their family members, and we know that these are these points of transmission. So, yeah, I, w- I would say that, like I said, anecdotally from what I hear, that has happened, and that's been the problem, that COVID fatigue that we've talked about before is so huge right now, and people are just wanting to get back out there. And even for the restaurants themselves, that's such a huge point for local businesses. They're just hemorrhaging money right now, staying closed and even being at limited capacity, doing outdoor dining. Maybe they're not making profits, but at least they're not losing those vast amount of money. So that's where this kind of thing has been lying at. It's been tough for a lot of people.
2: And the point you raise, I think, is a really the, that sort of anecdotal, those stories is an interesting one. I spoke with a public health expert who said, you know, we know from other kinds of diseases like HIV, for instance, or other diseases where you can impose different kinds of approaches to trying to prevent it or, or stay it off that, you know, encouraging this idea of like abstinence only, like almost like it's in sex ed, like that you should just not do anything at all doesn't work as well as trying to mitigate risk, you know, different levels. And so he said, you know, California took this approach they definitely needed to recalibrate what they were doing. Whether this new approach is going to work, though, depends a lot on whether the state has good contact tracing data to say, we know people, for instance, are gathering in private households and getting sick. And he says, we haven't actually seen that data. It hasn't been made very transparent by California. So it'll kind of remain to be seen whether this new approach works.
0: And as adherence to the guidelines, the social distancing, the mask wearing, That's where we're getting conversations of like, should people be double masking? Should we be triple masking? You know, that was kind of uh, hitting the storylines this week, just as these restrictions are starting to loosen and people want to get out there. Should we protect ourselves more with masks now? So this is all kind of rolled up into it. And those are key things that we need to do as we start going back to business.
2: This week, we also got a report from the CDC, which said, that school reopenings could be done safely if you took all the right precautions and also if you took steps to make sure transmission in the community at large was minimized and was as controlled as possible. And so when you're talking about, for instance, in Illinois reopening indoor dining and restaurants, it is an interesting question of, well, what about the schools? Are we relaxing all the same kinds of measures we relaxed before? Are we trying to do this smarter, do this in a, in a way that could have more impact, you know, in terms of social and educational programs.
0: Emma Court, health reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez and this was your Daily Dive.